Namaste everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host Kushal Behra. My guest today is Monica Halan. Monica is the consulting editor of the Live Mint, and she's the author of a very famous book, a bestseller, "Let's Talk Money." Monica, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for the invite. All right. So today's topic is going to be. Uh, it's actually stems from an article. So I read this article on the sixteenth of June. So for the record, I. Uh, you know monica is one of my favorite writers i religiously follow every article she writes actually i just keep looking for wherever she's written but this uh, this podcast today is about a specific article which was written on the 16th of june if i remember yeah 16th of june on the live mint it was called six uh, six money rules i learned from the pandemic so uh, before we get into the six rules monica can you explain why did you think well, what was the, the real reason behind conceptualizing this article thank you very much for having me on your wonderful podcast and uh, the reason actually was a lot of mails uh, and messages that i get from a variety of people you know i do uh, my own video and i'm very active on social media so a lot of people reach out to me on uh, social media email and this was something that i thought has been brewing that uh, our jobs have been hit incomes have been hit and of course our livelihoods are hit so there is a problem of money and do do i what do as a person who has followed this genre this whole money space what is it that i can distill out of this what are my learnings and what can i advise people so it is purely a continuation of the work that i've done for so many years of uh, being able to analyze events as they are happening understanding financial products understanding the innards of uh, products to be able to advise people on what works what doesn't and understanding the indian situation that we are in you know every country will have a different situation you will have a us household who is over leveraged but in india you have a household savings rate of 17% so our stories our the advice that i will give will be so different here so these were some of the dots that i tried to join in that small article and believe you me i did not i did not realize that it would become uh, such a viral hit so it i was delighted of course but i'm so glad that it actually helped people so you know i i want to start with this one because this the first one actually uh, it, it, it's very close to everybody's heart it's not only just a financial uh, point i think it's also a philosophical point and i remember having this conversation even with my parents that once the, once the pandemic hit us and 3 weeks down the line I, i remember mom and dad and i we were having this conversation and i told mom and dad i was like actually we realize hota hai ki kitna kam chahiye jeene ke liye <laughs> and then you realize that our entire life what we call our living is based on a lot of consumerism driven fictions that you know we've created these things that we live around so so can you talk about uh, the first point where where you said one it costs very little to live so so from what perspective were you trying to say so what was your perspective about it the perspective was only this that uh, every time i meet a new set of people and they ask me what i do i talk to them that i this is what i do i write about money personal finance about investing and nine times out of 10 with very well dressed people with women uh, with branded shoes and bags will say oh i have no money 
what saving you know so there is this whole ecosystem which sort of prides itself on saying paisa to hai nahi i don't have money where will i save um and that first month into the lockdown when my own credit card bills became very tiny and i am a very prudent spender so i am essentially uh, the rule that i follow is that uh, i don't want to greed it i want to need it in the sense that if that product serves a purpose and i'll buy the best quality but i don't see the point of uh, having somebody else's name on my handbag or having four of those handbags right so it's a very uh, use based sort of attitude towards money um some people can find it boring but i think it really works well for me so i am coming from a frugal spender perspective and even i was quite shocked to see what my credit card bill was i mean the petrol bill was zero yeah and the other bill was a fraction so that was my insight to say you know what everybody can save and this was the story which got repeated in household after household when everyone realized that uh, there is otherwise they would say there is more month at the end of the money now there's more money at the end of the month so the insight was that you know everybody has the capacity to save if in the future you go into the space where you think i don't have money to save you have to put on your covid time uh, experiential cap go back to this time remember what it was and you will find the money to save so it was just this insight that it is possible to save if you set your mind to it there is a whole lot of discretionary expenditure that we do which is fine i don't have a moral problem with people spending of course you know it is here and now you must enjoy what you have what is the point of having crores of rupees at 80 when you can't enjoy anything that that money can buy in terms of food or travel today is extremely important but can we do this balance between a today and a tomorrow where should you need to think about tomorrow and should you want to uh, generate a corpus in the future you don't have to think that i don't have the money you do have the money and that month just proved it to me so that was the insight that's why i wrote that first point that the month doesn't cost that much any time that we want we can save money all right so uh, so just to follow up on that so there there is this classic conundrum right so, so there is this lifestyle choice which a lot of people call minimalism so obviously so what you were proposing is not necessarily minimalism that we live like a minimalist that a minimalist basically lives with uh, in many cases they will just not have any physical possessions till a huge extent but the the thing is that then how does one define that fine line because since somebody would might come and say that when then how does this economic engine run because a lot of what we have in in modern times in this century is basically like i said you know we have consumerist fictions and basically the whole engine is running on those consumerist fictions so how do we define uh, that gap between prudence and not being minimalist so that we kind of get the economic uh, engine rolling too and we also are prudent at the same time so how does are there any like tangible calculations that we're supposed to do or something of that sort many parts to that question but let me just take your first part which is that the economic engine you're saying is related to consumption and that is extremely true in a country like the us where the average household is overbought 
So in terms of whether you have uh, 50 pairs of shoes and you need the 51st because you know what, I don't have that one. Or you have uh, 55 pairs of jeans and, you know, so again, it's not a moral statement, but that is how that society is where there is this constant need to spend. We have 30% of the people who are poor, less than $2 a day. Mm -hmm. You have a middle class, which is 300 million strong, a very small part. The top 5% of population has the kind of spending money, which can be compared to what people in the US with a per capita income of $62,000 a year compares with what we have, which is $2,000 a year, right? So in this difference lies the story of how, what is it that India wants to do when it travels the growth path? Hmm. What kind of consumer attitudes do we want to follow? And what kind of spending do we want? So as more and more people escape poverty and pour into the middle class, consumption story is not going to end. So we are in a very different space, luckily, where I don't want, I don't need to buy that 64th handbag to keep my economy humming. Uh, the person moving from the two rupee biscuit to a four rupee biscuit will equally help. Or the person who used to walk now buys a cycle will equally help. So at a deeper level, it also gives us that space to think what kind of consumerism do we want and what part of our basic cultural ethos do we want to knit into this consumerist society that we are going towards. So the, these are very, very, very important choices that we will make. So no, uh, curbing of excessive spending is not going to harm the economy because you will have people pouring into the middle class who are, who are going to be consuming. So mm -hmm. sure, your luxury good consumption could go down, but that's fine. You have a huge runway of consumption ahead. That is your, that's the first point. Your second is, are there any rules of the game? Like how much do you spend? An average household yeah. with a salary job, if you're lucky enough to be in the organized, organized sector, you're already doing 24% of your basic salary as your provident fund, 12% you give, 12% company gives. Right now, the rules are changed a bit, but let's talk about the normal situation. So you're already doing 24%. I'm saying if you do additional 10, 15, 20%, you are fine. So, you know, if you're spending between 50 to 70% of your take home, you're perfectly fine because there is this loan component which is also there, you have EMIs, you're leveraging your future income today. So you're buying a car, you're leveraging the future you today, you're buying a home, all good things. But ensure that your EMI bill, total EMI bill does not exceed 30% of your take home salary, because mm -hmm. then you're on that brink of uh, a COVID happening and not having the money to pay your debt. So especially in the younger years, your most career people will see a huge bump in their salaries, in their income around the age of 35 to 40, because you've had, you know, this 10, 15 year of work experience, and then your bump happens. That is the time your savings ratios could also improve. And again, in your 50s, you are typically 
uh, freed from expenses around higher education of kids. They are usually financially self-sufficient. So 50s is an important time to also have very, very high savings ratios. So I don't want to burden the 20, early 20, you know, the 20s and the early 30s by putting too much of a burden on their savings right now. You're already doing 24. 5% it's good enough. But if you're not being able to save, if your credit card bills are very high and you're rotating credit, if you're taking money off uh, apps and online portals which are charging you 36% interest, that kind of spending is very, very harmful. You know, you get into a debt trap and it's very difficult to get out of. So those are the prudent spending. And if you have a saving target, let's say you want to save in addition to your PF, another 10%. And you have paid your EMIs and then you have your income left. Spend it all. I mean, that's guilt-free spending. You know, do whatever you want with it. So if you've done your savings initially, then there is no guilt in that spend. So Shayad, maybe it's not so much fun because you know that guilt gives you a little bit of kink, but then you know deal with it and enjoy what you're buying. All right, now let's get into the second rule which, where you said emergency funds are mandatory and they need to be in a fully safe space. Now, now that's very interesting, the words you use, right? They need to be in a fully safe space. So can you elaborate on that aspect? Why did you use the specific words? And then obviously we can get into the details of emergencies fundings. So what, what did you want to say like a fully safe space? Uh, is there a particular uh, yeah. investment portfolio are we talking about? No, so I'm going to take your fully safe space question second. The first is the emergency fund because uh, the way that most people begin to invest is they begin to invest for the long term first. So they will start thinking of their kids' education, their retirement. But when there's an emergency, then you don't have money when you need it. So in, what I say also in my book is that the first product that you buy is you create what I call an emergency fund. That's your go-to place in case there's a job loss, in case there is some stress to your income, to your house, that's the money. And I recommend between six months to two years of uh, money in an easy to access place, which means that, now let's look at COVID. Nobody thought this would happen, but it did. Yeah. We've had salary cuts, people have been out of jobs. Now, if you had this money, it had to be in a fully safe space so that you can use it. Mm -hmm. A savings deposit is safe in a large commercial bank, scheduled commercial bank, because those typically don't go out of business. But that, that earns you very little interest. Right now, it's about 2.75. So fixed deposit is your fully safe space. But then we did have events like Yes Bank. So typically, it's a good idea to have a little bit of diversification. So you have fixed deposit. Choose very carefully the bank that you will put your fixed deposit in. Large scheduled commercial banks are perfectly fine, private sector and public sector. Okay. And you can put a part of that in very, very safe debt funds. So if you understand mutual funds, you understand what you're buying, then um, debt funds with high credit quality are also fine. But ideally, I would want a mix of a fixed deposit and a debt fund. If you understand debt funds, otherwise just stay with fixed deposits. There's no shame in just putting your emergency funds in a, in a fixed deposit. Because uh, even if you were to break that deposit, you will lose 
half a percentage point or one percentage point of interest, not your principal. So if you were getting 7% interest, they will shave off one percentage point of the interest and your money is liquid again. So create that little pot of money, which in COVID would have been very useful. But even for a younger person, I mean, people have toxic offices. They may not like the boss that they're working for. This gives you that little bit of breathing space that you get out of that job and you have six months of eating money, rent money. So you can find something else. So it's just a cushion that I like to build. The only learning during COVID was that the 50s cohort, people in their 50s, they need to have about two years of money in an emergency fund because if a person in the 50s loses his or her job, they are unlikely to get a job with commensurate income. Remember, 50s is the peak of your yeah. average career. You are uh, an expensive resource. You're also fairly entrenched and you may be resisting change. So when companies mm -hmm. downsize, if the value you're bringing is unclear, you're the first person to go. And at that age, you are not going to get another job with the same uh, kind of CTC that you're used to. And this is your prime earning age. So I would caution people in their 50s that continue with your skill building. You don't become the person you hated when you joined the workforce in your 20s and build that two years of emergency fund. Because for you, I don't know if there's another job after six months. So, so basically, if I was to understand this, that uh, not only is it about uh, how much money, it is also about how much money in direct correlation to at what stage in your life and yes. at what age. So if we, we were to say that, then uh, just a hypothetical scenario. Obviously, you spoke about somebody who's... So what would your advice be to entrepreneurs? So so I, I know the typical advice always is for people, you know, who have a nine to five job. But, but let's say an entrepreneur, you know, we have so many small scale businessmen in India. So they also are in that, uh, I don't know how to say, wo 50, rupay mahine se lekar, uh, rupay mahine income ki jo range hoti hai. You know, a lot of businesses in India just basically roam around in that income uh, income range even i think even incomes like 25 30000 let's say you have a very small business because india is a land where you have very small and micro businesses so what kind of advice would you give to them also when it comes to stuff like emergency funds because not only do they need emergency funds for a personal emergency but also when the business takes a hit right so how should they manage in your view You've not, I mean, basically your personal finances and your business income don't get mixed. So that is the problem with small enterprise. And it is a problem because that money gets really mixed up and there is no wall between your uh, business, your enterprise's income and your income. So that demarcation has to happen. And again, depending on how many dependents you have. So I'll put another variable into this now that... A two-income house typically will need a lower emergency fund than a single person whose income is sustaining spouse, kids, and maybe parents. Because India, we have extended family who are supporting parents, nieces, nephews. You know, you're supporting a lot of people. So depending on the number of people you have, you go on bumping up the emergency fund that you create. So for entrepreneurs, even more necessary 
that six months becomes a bare minimum. And if there are a lot of dependents, you go all the way up to two years, depending on your age and your situation, number of dependents. And for the uh, entrepreneurs, yes, it has to be very, very, very safe because, uh, you know, I mean, there is no safety net at all. It isn't as if even if you get fired, you get two months severance, you get something, you get your gratuity, there is PF. But for an entrepreneur, you normally put your whole life into your business. So it's a good idea to squirrel away something just for a COVID-like situation where really, I mean, there is both a demand and a supply side hit. What are you going to do? So very, very important question. Very important for the uh, entrepreneurs to keep that money aside. A lot of the business class does invest in gold and real estate. So typically, you will have a portfolio of real estate and gold with the entrepreneurs, the you know the shopkeeper or the uh, small entrepreneur. Real estate becomes a difficult asset to sell, but gold is good. They usually buy jewelry, not so good. You lose thirty percent on making, but at least it is something. But my advice would be to have it liquid, have it in a bank deposit, and. Uh, first product that everybody builds great so now let us go into point number three where uh, you say markets go up and down don't be in the market if you can't stomach the risk now i'll tell you in fact in our own family we are the most uh, petrified family when it comes to the share markets matlab itna darte hain jiska koi hisab nahi hai hamare ghar mein till date not even a single rupee when it comes to my own family has been invested directly into any share market the only time we did went into the share market was uh, when the the famous uh, harshad mehta stock market scam had happened and jo aisi maar padi us samay because of obviously bad bad investments made by us that we have never poured <laughs> into the stock market directly ever so can you tell tell me not only how do we go about it but why do you think our i mean my family is a classic case of that why are we so petrified of the stock markets in india because uh, you don't know how to swim and you are trying to dive like an olympian that's why so the stock markets we've been trained because of uh, movies and television you know channel business channels who are geared largely towards brokers and speculators to believe that we are also speculators we don't understand the difference between investment and speculation speculation is a very important function of the stock market i am not saying that we don't need speculation but we don't need retail investors to do speculation there is a whole category of people who speculate and that's what gives liquidity to the market which is great but for an average doctor lawyer professional to be trying to match that speculator means that you will lose money so you have to learn how to give your money what i call an equity exposure not buying equity so the money needs an equity exposure which means that you take structured risk there is a lower risk way to give your money the bump of growth that the stock market can give now what is the sensex it is an index of 30 stocks right 
what are these 30 stocks these are the most liquid companies with highest market cap basically all the famous companies of a market and they are representative of the economy the 30 stocks in the sensex in 1980 are not the same as the 30 stocks today right because as the markets have changed you've had commodities go out all your cement companies and all have gone out and the mix of companies in that 30 stock sensex is now pharmaceuticals, uh, financial sector, technology. Um, so if you could just buy the Sensex and hold it, at every point you're holding some of the best companies of a market. It's called index investing. This is your lowest risk way, lowest risk, lowest cost way of giving your money equity exposure. It is also very boring. Because there's no excitement. Your money is not going to double in next year. You will get inflation indexed returns over the long term. Now, if households like yours, I could onboard you onto a basic index fund on the Sensex or the Nifty 50 and somehow get you to hold for five to seven years, your experience will be very different of what the stock market can do. You will never look at buying an individual stock and looking at the price every minute. You will fill it, you will shut it, and you will forget it. And you will go on funding that money. So when you open it after five to seven years, it would have nicely cooked, and you will see a nice robust growth over and above your fixed deposit. So it will be tax and inflation plus return, which gives your money that growth, which your other fixed income assets cannot give. So that is equity investing. That is what I'm so passionate about, that you have the Canadian Widows Pension Fund investing in the Indian markets. You have all sorts of different foreign investors partaking of the growth of the Indian market. And our Indian households are afraid because they lost money cost 30 years ago in the Harshab Mehta scam. You know, that was 30 years ago. Markets have also progressed. The products today that we have were not available 30 years ago. So I would just uh, ask you to onboard these new products. <clears throat> they cost very little, they cost a fraction. Even managed mutual, mutual funds will have a risk of the fund manager, right? So the fund manager will choose stocks and build a fund. That risk also you can get away with. You don't need that risk also. You just buy an index fund and hold for the long term. So that is what I mean when I say markets go up and down. Volatility is what people are afraid of. But volatility, which is markets going up and down, gets ironed out over time. It's a, there's a, when I do my workshops, there's a lovely slide that I like to show over and over. And I love the, I love the reaction that uh, I get out of people. That if somebody had invested 1 lakh of rupees in a fixed deposit, 1 lakh in PPF, one lakh in gold and one lakh in the Sensex, assuming that you could uh, in 1980 buy the Sensex, you couldn't because you know the, we didn't have index funds then. But if you could and you held till now in 40 years, what has happened? The other three products that one lakh is still in max, you know, 20 lakh, 30 lakh, 50 lakh, that one lakh in the Sensex is today about three and a half, four crore. That is the difference between 30, 40, 50 lakh and three and a half to four crore.
Now that is the value creation of a stock market. It is not a roulette machine. It is not a speculative den unless you make it like that. Unless you do day trading, unless you do derivatives, unless you do margin buying. So if you're going to go jump into shark infested water, nobody can help you. But if you've got your lifeboat on and you're going cruising down a nice placid lake, you know, and there are some bumps, you're still going to swim through it. So markets go up and down. You just have to belt up and ride it out. Fair enough. So now let's get into the fourth point, which was uh, asset location and diversification are not just words. They have a meaning. Now, now we need to unpack this a lot. So when you again, this was a very specific line that you used, like they have a meaning. So what did you mean when you say they have a meaning? A lot of personal finance advice and conversation rests on diversification and asset allocation. And somewhere we sort of hear it and don't implement it. So diversification and asset allocation are not just words. You need to actually implement it in your life. And with what diversification essentially means is that you have all the products all the time in your portfolio. You are not moving from stocks to gold to debt as the markets change. At every point in time, you have an allocation towards stocks, which is equity. You have the safe fixed income part of your portfolio, which is your PF, your PPF, your fixed deposit debt funds. You have 5 to 10% of your portfolio in gold. Depending on at your age and stage, your equity allocation becomes larger or smaller. And the example that I love to give is when, when you look at our diet, we are not choosing between carbohydrates or protein. Mm -hmm. We are saying carbohydrates and protein and minerals. So it's a balanced diet. Mm -hmm. An 18-year-old will have a larger pie of the carbs and the starch and the fat. Mm -hmm. And 70-year-old will reduce that. We'll have the portion become smaller and the uh, allocation to starch and fatty foods will become less because the body doesn't need that energy anymore. Your financial decisions are very similar. When you're younger, you have a very long road ahead in which to earn and invest and recover from market cycles. You don't need the money till the time that you retire. So the money can stay in the market. Your holding power is much more. So your allocation to equity is very high. But as you're coming towards retirement, you will need the money. You don't have that age left to work. Your allocation reduces but never goes to zero. You're always invested in equity. Even when you're 80, you have a 20% slice of equity still in your portfolio. That is what allocation means. And diversification is just the fact that you have different products which do different things, which give you a total balanced return. So if you just had equity in a good year, you did very well. But if you just had equity in a bad year, you did very badly. But now you have both equity and debt in the proportion that goodness and badness sort of reduces. So it's a little bit like, you know, when, when you meditate, you sort of get into this balanced, the high is not so high, the low is not so low. Investing mm -hmm. is not so different. You know, you sort of get into this balanced space where uh, because of diversification, you're not very excited or very sad. You get sort of average returns. 
so that is that zen place is really where you need to be your portfolio is not supposed to give you thrills you should go buy a lottery ticket do las vegas you know do something else do bungee jumping to get excitement your portfolio is not for that at all it is boring you know something the one thing i've also noticed is a lot of people tell me that uh, don't keep on looking at your portfolio every month all the time so so how does one do that because it's like you know telling someone to go on twitter and not uh, refresh the button and look for a new tweet all the time how does one develop the mental habit of not looking at your portfolio position every month especially when the stock market is crashing if you really understand the market and uh, i have to say that the equity investors who have been onboarded in the indian equity market through mutual funds through the planners and ifas have done extremely well in march when the market was cracking we had a 55% inflow extra over last year so investors mm-hmm. were actually rushing in to buy when markets were cracking which is the right behavior when something is cheaper you buy more except in mm-hmm. equity indian investors sell when markets crack so you really have to manage expectations and educate yourself see once you understand the logic of the market then you don't worry about market crashes it's an opportunity to buy more because your allocation mm. has changed so mm. i would just say that it's just a, you have to you have to really understand why you have bought what you have bought and if it fits into your plan then you're not worried at all fair enough now let's get into number 5 i think number 5 again is something so important that at a personal level i think it's the most uh, undervalued uh, suggestion in our in our current culture people don't have their wills written i can tell you in my own immediate family i know my own uncles and aunts who have not written a will till the extent that my father had to tell them oh bhai will likho kya kar rahe ho kyun nahi likh rahe ho will likh ke jao so so please explain to everyone the importance of writing a will the first time that my husband and i wrote our wills was when our daughter was 8 years old mm-hmm. so which is many many years ago there is no age to write your will if you say that you love your family then you want to look after them even after you are gone and if you don't leave a will i would begin to doubt your claim that you love your family because if you did you would not leave this financial mess behind so anybody who has had to chase papers after somebody in the family died look for insurances find property papers prove that indeed he or she is the son or daughter knows what kind of hopes that you have to jump through now simply putting assets down on a piece of paper and clearly demarcating who gets what shouldn't be this uh, huge emotional crisis that such a conversation seems to trigger so somewhere i think <clears throat> we think it's bad luck to talk of death but that somewhere doesn't fit in with most of what we believe is of reincarnation that you know this whole thing about bhagavad gita that you know the body will go away the soul will come back so if you really believe in those things then you wouldn't be so afraid of death so somewhere there is this double standard of saying that we believe in all of this and yet being so petrified of dying 
So somewhere a little bit of work on ourselves to say that, yeah, stuff happens and there's no age of dying. The fan can fall and you can die now. You can choke on a peanut and die. It doesn't have to be old age. But uh, your responsibility is to write that will and write a will so that and what I recommend is that when you write a will, you have to imagine that you're dead. And it's a very serious thing to actually imagine because you, you should do it. You should actually imagine that you're not there. And then you see what the family is going through. So yes, there's an emotional problem. Yes, of course, there's like all that is there. But then life goes on, bills have to be paid. EMIs are there, goals are there. What happens then? So create a document, especially if you have minor kids. So when we wrote our will, we had specific reasons because of a variety of issues of the kind of life that we were giving her. And we were very clear of uh, what will happen in case something happened to both of us, mm -hmm. right? So I think it's useful to take that emotion and that overly, you know, Hindi serial kind of uh, hair pulling yeah. chest thing out of this death and will conversation and have an adult conversation about, yeah, people die. We will also die. Why not just put everything down on a piece of paper and Nobody needs to know the contents of your will. So if there are squabbling children, whatever it is your situation is, you can just write your will, have two witnesses who witness your signing of the will. They don't need to know the contents of the will. But uh, you don't need to disclose who's getting what. So yeah, this is it's a tough conversation, but it's worth having. Yeah, and I kind of related to you. I do think somewhere down the line that uh, that reality, it's, very, it's, it's actually very fascinating that you said, and I agree with you that the reality in the end that we're all going to perish, somehow, I don't know why it's so petrifying for everyone. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you're at the Charvak podcast. So in my case, being a Nastik, I actually, in my personal life, like the whole thing changed completely where I was like, I just have one life. I have to make most of it and I better plan it properly. So my brain works completely yeah. differently in, in, in this department. But yeah, but but so let's say if I was going to have a conversation with someone who is a very, very petrified with the idea of death and is like, no, 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 I don't want to talk about it. So how would you suggest me to actually broach this subject to that person? How do I go about it? So if you're a direct beneficiary, then the first uh, allegation comes at you, oh, you want me to die. You know, the first emotional sort of uh, arrow comes at you, Ki, you want me to die, so you want all the assets. So these are difficult conversations. It's nice to either um, show the person an article in the media or something that somebody has written or spoken about. So it sort of prepares the mind that other people have done it. So other people have done it is a very powerful uh, behavior changing example. So if there is somebody else in the family who has made the will, it's a good idea to get those people to talk. If there is a trusted family friend, a lawyer, somebody that the person who you're trying to get them to write the will trusts, it's a good idea to bring them in because you can't force anyone to write their will. It's best that it is done in a nice way. And uh, it's nice to have the person on board enthusiastically. So yeah. it will help to do, to get them to read, to get somebody close to them to talk about it, to get somebody in the family who has written wills to come and talk to them. 
and you are i am actually seeing a new trend where uh, i mean we were witnesses i was witness for a friend's parents wills and you know they threw a will party where we had a nice lunch and then we witnessed their signing of the will and it was very nice and pleasant so you know it's a it's a new world why not yeah i i agree with you now now we get into rule number 6 and then we'll take some questions from the live viewers so the last is and uh, this was such uh, a poignant <laughs> advice that when you said invest in your health and uh, i love the second line and i'm going to read the second line this is not the last health and a good immune system is as much as an asset as a second home in the hills so <laughs> as someone I, i'll give you my story so probably from the age of 21 22 till the age of 36 i was Uh, I was not overweight. I was obese. I was an obese human being. I was unfit, and I'd never took care of my health. I will hog on whatever I wanted to hog on, and it just one day I remember, and I have said this story before too, and I'm repeating it that it was just I was on a weighing scale near me. I just stepped on the weighing scale, and I was like, ninety six kilos. Holy moly! This is not happening. <laughs> and I, and that day it, it was like a nuclear explosion in my brain and i was like how and and i i i actually must have said like how dare you in greta thunberg style to myself in my brain <laughs> and i changed completely i changed completely i lost like 26 to 26 plus kilos i i went down to 67 kgs now i have around 70 kgs but my thing is that ha, so obviously it's not just uh, that angle that you talk about but you talk about multiple things in your health so why do you think that health is such a neglected aspect in just our cultural discussion too like people don't care meetha khate rehte log baith ke jitna khate rehte jo bhi that's right uh, for some reason we've uh, not thought about health as an asset at all so especially you know when a young couple you know when you get married and you know if you're thin then you say oh you're not feeding him or he's not looking after you you know so this whole body consciousness has had very different connotations and let me just step back a little bit and look at it from a historical angle we've been a desperately poor country and being uh having some flesh having some pounds on you was probably a sign of wealth probably a sign that you were not starving you were doing well so to be kind i would just say maybe it's a historical remnant in our consciousness because we've had hundreds of years of being extremely poor and it could be that it's a carry on of that and that body consciousness is coming now but along with that we also so we also have workplaces which don't sort of you know that whole uh, work life balance is not something that we understand very well we are in that development phase where long hours of work is required and somewhere we lose that thread that work will only happen if the this factor of production which is labor is fit to go to work so we forget that unless this factor of production is looked after and taken care of and just as you do service your car you service yourself and that servicing is an ongoing thing and not a weekend rush to play tennis but 
uh, every meal is a moment where you think about what you're putting in your body every day is a uh, little bit of time is spent on uh, exercising it you know so that consciousness has to come that there is always going to be work to do and the way that uh, workplaces are especially the higher and fire ones the workplace will chew you up and spit you out you'll get two months of your salary and you're out so it's just about you know what is it that you want out of this life so is it that mad rush for the next designation or is it something more than that slightly higher level problems because uh, a lot of times you're just trying to stay in the job you're just trying to uh, you know be there in that rat race but sometimes just stepping out and looking at the rat race and then deciding how much you want to get into it also gives you that little bit of time to think about your own health and your own long term um plans about who you are what you want to be how you want to be like example i mean your example that you know you you there's a moment when you said i choose not to be like that i find that a lot of us don't either have the courage or the confidence to say i choose Mm. but if you choose then it is and health is no different and immunity like right now everyone saying immunity it doesn't build by popping two pills it builds over the years so unless you build it it's not going to happen and this is not the last pandemic unfortunately so it's a good idea it's a good wake up call you know whatever it takes get get because it's going to last you for a long time you have to make it last for a long long time so invest a little bit in that we are just buying stuff which we may not need but not giving that much time to the body it doesn't take that much time if you if you look at your hours in the day half an hour to nikal jayega na you'll get your half an hour to do something with uh, just walking you know that time you can get out everybody can get that out so just that this is definitely a part of your uh, everyday practice and again this uh, lockdown also said that there is a lot of hours in the middle of the day there is time that you can allocate just as you have more money than you thought there is more time that you thought so use that and just you know rework it oh yeah i couldn't agree more with you in fact i i, I remember a line you used in the article where you you said use think of your health also like an sip and you put some bits of it in all the time and and it's just you know we don't even want to have conversations around like if i go and tell my friends that i think the indian diet has a lot of problems like the kind of diet we and we are taking the worst of the western diet like all the bad things the west could offer we were like just feed it down my mouth please give me more and like एवरीथिंग द वेस्ट उनका सारा गंद हम लोग ने ले लिया उनका एक अच्छी चीज हम लेने को तैयार नहीं होते और ऊपर से वी हैव सो मेनी एंड एंड लाइक राइट नाउ एज आई एम रीडिंग द लाइफ पोस्ट एवरीबॉडी इज लाइक हमारे घर में तो बोलते हैं अगर पेट थोड़ा नहीं आया तो खाते पीते एंड इट्स सो ट्रू आई वाज जस्ट रीडिंग द लाइफ कमेंट्स एंड आई वाज लाइक या इट्स सो ट्रू इट्स जस्ट द एटीट्यूड एंड 
and and in my own personal experience when in fact i remember when i started losing weight it is such an infectious thing it's like my own brother and i both of us started competing tere kitne kgs loss hue mere kitne hue what are you eating what am i eating then my entire badminton group everybody got infected and it was like a competition all of us were doing in fact even now during the lockdown what i did was i kind of challenged all my friends let's see who loses more weight in the lockdown we were like okay let's try something but i don't know what happens just people don't want to and i do believe that like, this is my experience that when you do it in groups like when you have a partner when you go to the gym or when you have a friend competing or a family member competing with you not in a very unhealthy way but in a healthy way it it acts as if uh, it's it's a, it's a you know a, a feeding of mechanism you feed off each other and and it helps a lot so yeah i i could not agree more with you i think it, the entire culture does not focus on health and uh, i i really don't know what to do about it uh, i mean it's just uh, it's it's a black box as they say we don't know what, what to do there it's just tough competitions but let's take a few questions because i'm conscious of your time so i'll start with the first question which karan has asked in the live chat karan says is it better to invest in gold bonds or mutual funds at the moment or just leave the money in the fixed deposit um gold bonds is good fixed deposits is good markets are good all of that is good so depending on uh, how far your goal is what is it that you're investing towards you allocate in different parts so all of these not it's never an or it's an and so you have equity you have gold and you have debt so all of them hmm so one more question from shonak shonak says as a person who is starting his career amidst the pandemic how do i start investing in general poor guy starting his career in the pandemic right now yeah right um your emergency fund will come first you will you will first build that fund and once you've got that in place then you start investing for your other goals i find it useful to split the goals into short medium and long term goals we are used to thinking of investing in products you live shall i buy shall i buy money back should i buy a mutual fund what you need to do is you have to match your investing tenure to the product that you're buying the minute you turn the conversation to yourself rather than what they are selling your product choices become far clearer because otherwise you're constantly being told this new product is here you should buy it's giving high return you know high return is fine but along with high return will also come high risk so are you able to take that risk so just split your uh, future into several buckets and short term means less risk medium term means medium risk long term you can go fully into equity so i would advise everybody to think of matching their tenure to the kind of product you are buying hmm so this is actually this is such a simple question but you know what i think i don't know i think you must be getting this question the most <laughs> actually this guy has just written his name is deepak he says how can a normal person invest we are not experts <laughs> it's actually such an innocent question but it is very valid right can i just take a little bit of a policy detour here sure um yes you're asking a very important question and uh, this has been termed as one of the toughest questions by academics because 
especially when you're planning for say retirement, not only do you need to think about how long you will live, what the returns would be like, what inflation will be like. There are so many variables that you need to look after that it becomes almost the toughest question of finance. We have a marketplace which is called a buyer beware marketplace. It's like you're buying bread and you should be able to see if bread is okay or not. Mm-hmm. Except that bread is a physical product. You will eat it and you will figure out it's not nice and you will not buy from that shop again. A pension product or a long-term investment, the moment of truth is 20 years, 10 years, 30 years later. It's too late. That moment of truth is far away and the product is invisible. A financial product is created in your mind when it is described. So it is the description which makes it come alive in your mind, which is where the problem is of the buyer beware world, where the responsibility is put on the buyer of the product to figure out whether the product is okay or not. It's like a car uh, seller telling you, here is the car, figure out if it is safe. Cannot work like this in finance. And I have been advocating a seller beware market, which says that the seller of the product is responsible for making a suitable sale, which means if a person is 70 years old, you don't sell him life insurance. If a person is 20 years old, you don't put him into a fixed deposit only. So a suitability of a financial product is a very important conversation. And the person selling is the person who's responsible. But that's a market shift that I'm talking about. And obviously, it's it's a very, very tough challenge to change this market from a buyer beware to a seller beware. But that is what retail finance finally will go towards. I don't know how many years it will take, but that is the future. Today, in a buyer beware market, you've got to distrust everybody. You've got to not believe what the bank manager is saying. You've got to be very careful of the kind of financial planner that you employ. A good idea will be to look for a fee for financial planner, pay him or her separately for the advice that he or she gives, and then buy the products that they recommend. So negotiating this landscape is difficult. You can equip yourself by reading articles, books, watching videos. The most that it will do is ask, is educate you on what questions to ask. Mm-hmm. It becomes very difficult in the execution part. So finally, people, the Indian middle class will have to learn to employ or work with financial planners who they pay, who can then take them through a portfolio approach to their investing. But today, if you simply, if you want some very basic rules, it's just that you need one term life insurance policy, you need a medical insurance policy, your emergency fund is there, and then you're matching your tenure to your uh, product. Short term, you can do fixed deposits, debt funds, medium term, you can do a mix of equity and debt. And equity, if you just stay with index funds on the Nifty 50 or the Sensex, you are fairly okay. So this is your just your bare bones starter package for investing. 
All right, this is a very interesting comment and question because I can relate to it because I'm an entrepreneur myself. So Aditya says, being entrepreneurs, we think it is important to have control around our money. And that sense of control is lost when we start thinking of investing in the stock market. So how does one go about convincing an entrepreneur about this issue of losing the control on their investments? It's actually, I can totally relate to this. Right. So if you're an entrepreneur, your risk to your money is coming already from your business. Now, remember that you don't have to invest in the markets. Salaried people, people who will not create wealth out of their incomes, your multiplier wealth usually happens through a business, through enterprise. I would actually caution entrepreneurs from taking too much risk on the stock market. I would allocate a higher percentage of the portfolio to products like uh, uh, PPF, fixed deposits, debt funds, and a smaller allocation to equity. And even in equity, I would encourage you to stay with index funds, ETFs, because uh, nobody's actually controlling that. You can't fight with a fund manager for wrong choices because that's the index. So that fight goes away because there's no one to fight with. That's the index return you're getting. It's a long-term inflation plus return. So take the fight out of the question. All right. This is a good question. I think the kid is from college. So Prakar says, how can I start uh, investing while I'm in college or start to learn investing while I'm in college? Good. So college kid also wants to learn. Right. And our education system does not pre uh, prepare us at all. I did a master's in economics from D school and I didn't know how to write a check. So yeah, education system simply doesn't equip us to look after our money. It's a good idea to start reading. It's a good idea to read across. There's so much material out there to understand the basics of finance, to understand things like real return, future value, present value, to understand that products have costs, to understand uh, things like uh, what, you know, to understand the real costs of, say, something like real estate. So, Initially, you're just building blocks. You're just trying to figure out the landscape. And as you get to earning as a student, I'm not sure how much elbow room you have to start investing. But if you do, and if you are interested in, uh, you know, in creating a long-term corpus, then starting a systematic investment plan in a mutual fund is a great way to start experiencing equity. Yeah. So, okay. So I think I've asked enough questions. We're almost touching a one hour mark. So I just want to leave everyone with this comment. I think you're going to like it. So Niloy, and I'm going to leave it on the screen. He says, I'm 25 and I'm glad that I started reading about personal finance and investing two years ago. Thank you, Monica. Your book has helped me considerably in my investment journey. So I'm going to leave that. Uh, so, so there you go. There's someone who's actually read your book, who's watching this podcast live. So guys, uh, Take these uh, these uh, these comments by Monica and this advice by Monica very seriously because uh, in my own personal journey I I could relate to uh, Monica when she said that when we were in college actually I I genuinely 
relate to that i think we are not thought about these things you know what we are thought about is we are thought about being frugal and and saving that is there it's in a culture of we you know frugality is there in our culture but i definitely believe when it comes to meticulous financial planning i think that has never been thought we were asked to save we were taught to save in our culture but but as they say it, uh, in english there is this particular word right uh, to get the best bang for your buck like where do you invest your rupee that 100 rupee note and where do you get the best return is somewhere i think we lack even today i think in our in our parents generation the mindset is uh, nationalized bank lo bank mein fd kar do sara paisa usme dal do aur koi risk nahi lena life mein so it, it is a culture and, and and it's very important that we start taking these other baby steps and and uh, you know that's the only way uh, our wealth uh, and our portfolio and our net worth can increase so once again monica thanks a lot for coming on the podcast and and giving us all your advice uh, i really appreciate it and before we wrap things up just one last question any other book or uh, something new that you're coming up with any project that you would like to tell us about so the book is being written i have started the second book along, uh, still with harper collins and this will be on mutual funds and it's coming out because most of the communication after let's talk money which is sort of the mother book in this space was that you got us to a point where we understood why mutual funds and why equity but we need to know what to do next so this will just take off from where let's talk money stopped and go deeper into mutual funds All right, awesome, Monica. Once again, uh, I really appreciate that you came. I, you're my one of my favorite writers. Like I always look forward to each and every article that you write. Uh, uh, and really, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. Uh, it's an absolute honor to host you on the Charbuck Podcast. Thank you so much. Pleasure being here. All right, guys. You know the drill. If you like the video, subscribe, like, share the video. You know what? Share this video with your parents. Share it with your cousins. tell them to watch it or hear it on the audio version ask them don't you think yaar hum ye cheeze karte hain do we do all of this do we really follow the advice that monica has given let us have that discussion amongst our own family members i don't know about the world but at least the four of us or the five of us or the 10 of us and if you like what i'm doing over here you know the drill guys you can join the membership program on youtube or you can go on patreon.com/charwork and support me there until then i'll see you next time namaste take care goodbye